Good morning. Welcome to the Snake River Lib Podcast. Actually, I apologize. Good afternoon. It is the 1st of March. March came in in Kansas, at least in the Pale of Kansas, like a lamb. Um, 60 degree-ish sunshine. Everything that people tend to like. Hopefully, um, that's how it goes. But, you know, that's not what they say. A lot to talk about today, and I'm not even sure where to begin. Ah, Lori Lightfoot, the mayor, soon to be former mayor of Chicago, came in third in a race with over 12 people um, running for election. She was running for re-election as a mayor. Um, She lost. She came in third uh, since nobody got enough, uh, no one got a majority of votes in Chicago. They will go to a runoff between the top two candidates. The top candidate has uh, got the endorsement of the Fraternal Order of Police and et cetera, has promised to actually do something about crime. Um, the other candidate is polar opposite, defund the police type. It'll be interesting to see what happens. You know, um, um, the mayor of New York, Eric Adams, I believe is his name, but I haven't looked it up because it just occurred to me. You know, he ran on this this uh taking care of crime too, but he was always a progressive. And once he got into office, he didn't do anything about the crime situation in New York. So both of these people that are running, of course, neither one of them is a Republican. So whether the one that says he's tough on crime, which is likely to win because he got nearly twice the votes of the second place person, uh, We'll see what happens if he actually does win and if he does anything about the crime in Chicago. Lori Lightfoot, of course, is blaming racism for her loss. But that's no surprise there. That's just what they do. You know, California, they say, so so goes California, so goes the rest of the nation. Let's hope that's not the case. Although the rest of the nation has already been in huge deficit spending. California, which has been bragging on their their rock-solid economic fiscal policy, is now facing deficits as far as the eye can see. And the fact is that they are allowing tax revenues. I'm sorry, not allowing. They're encouraging um, tax revenues to flee the state. People that can afford to leave, many of them are leaving. People earning over $200,000 a year, which for the rest of the nation is actually pretty darn well off. For California, you're lucky to have a studio apartment. But now, you know, they've been bragging about how their budget has been going. Well, now it's not. And so what are they doing? They're proposing a wealth tax that will not apply not only to people that currently live in the state of California, to the uber rich, but it will also apply to the uber rich that have left. I don't know how they would be able to enforce that. And I'm pretty sure that that any any attempt to do so would end up with a constitutional challenge in California being laughed out of the court. But believe me, the wealth tax is one that the left wants desperately. Now, just as a point of reference, because this is important. It's very important to understand that if all the wealth 
from the 1%, top 1%, if it were confiscated, it wouldn't put a dent in the national debt. It would reduce the national debt maybe 5%. And considering that we're deficit spending to the tune of half a trillion a year or more, as a reminder, Biden's Build Back Better was a $5 trillion price tag, and we ended up settling for a $1.7 trillion. And so you should remember that when he goes around talking about how fiscally responsible he is. He was stuck with a bill, which I hate, personally. Washington Republicans love, as do the Democrats, except for that they love it only because it was the best that they could do. They wanted something that was three times as much. But speaking of of uh, revenue and and our future, uh, right now the Labor Department's got a rule out that they're planning on implementing that's going to uh, have an effect regarding your 401ks as well as potentially, ultimately, IRAs throughout the country. And what it is, is it is relieving the fiduciaries responsibility to seek out the best return on the investments for those funding funds. What does that mean exactly? It means that they are the rule will allow I'm sorry, encourage fiduciaries to seek out not profit necessarily, but to put the 401k's into funds that have a high ESG score, environmental, societal, and, and governance. This is the big thing now about investing. Of course, the fact that ESG um, companies don't do nearly as well as companies that understand and live in reality um, it's allowing, see, a fiduciary has a responsibility to do what's best for the client. This rule will relieve them of that responsibility and allow them to choose less profit, which means less return on your 401k. But you'll at least be able to have the feeling, the touchy-feely feeling of, of, um, playing along this is a uh, an advance to the uh, uh, societal credit that they use uh, in in china and other places where you're ranked based on your score com- compliance etc let's see what else what else can we talk about here before we go to the break uh, supreme court right now is uh, is considering um uh, President Biden's uh, 400 billion, and that's really kind of that's that's not realistic. It's going to be a lot more than that. 400 billion dollar uh, student loan forgiveness program. As to the constitutionality of the president waving a magic wand, finding some obscure passage in some law that nominally doesn't but they can try to make it sound good. Give them the authority to do that. It's very funny because, you know, Congress has said that the president has this authority. And so, as a reminder, for the first nearly two years of his presidency, he sat on it. 
wouldn't do anything. Congress won't do anything because they don't want their they don't want to have their uh, um, hands touching this. And so they're saying the president can do it. The president, for the first year and a half of his presidency, rightly said that if Congress wants student loan forgiveness, then they need to write a bill, which he would have signed for it. Anyway, the Supreme Court is considering this and the fact that this is a very, very uh, elite grouping of people, by and large people are uh, in the upper income brackets in this country. While there is no question that that uh, student loans have have exploded and that people are not getting any kind of return on that investment. You know, it used to be that student loans or student uh, or a college degree rather was going to would guarantee you a, a, a certain increase as opposed to as opposed to not getting the college degree, but anymore, um, mainly because of a diversity of, gre- of degrees and and the fact that so many people have them it's become very much watered down. I mean, I've, I've looked around for jobs as with my master's degree, as far as teaching goes, and really most jobs that I would even be interested in require a PhD. And so I work at Walmart. And there's a lot of people with college degrees that do very similar things. Um, something needs to be done. And, and this is, I mentioned the other day how these professors who who love socialism, you know, they could do a lot towards the cost of attending college if they would simply uh, accept a chair at their university, which provided them with an apartment and uh, eating at the cafeteria or a stipend for them to go and buy groceries in exchange for very little salary, except for what they need to travel to do their research and um, a very modest um, royalty program for textbooks that they write or books that are used in courses. But they're not real socialists. They just love socialism for you and me. They just don't like it for themselves. But that's pretty typical of, of most socialists. Um, Bernie Sanders having three homes is a perfect example. I can understand having an apartment in, in Washington, D.C., as well as his home back in Vermont. Um, but that's not what he has. He has a house in D.C., a house in Vermont, a house, a vacation home. You know, and he is a real socialist. So he's a, an unabashed socialist. He doesn't he doesn't pretend to just be progressive. He's a socialist. I think we're going to take a break here and cover quite a few things. We're going to cover some more when we get back. Thank you so much for listening. And we're back here on the lib. I was reading a uh, process of reading a book entitled Overrun, How Joe Biden Unleashed the Greatest Border Crisis in U.S. History. Um, in this book, he details how families um, in foreign lands are being used uh, mainly by the, the cartels and, and such to, to get a lot more people across the border. You know, that they'll, that, they will rent out, you know, families will rent out their kids or, you know, some of their kids to single, usually men, not always, so that they can get across the border, so that they can get paroled into the United States while they wait for their uh, hearing. And based, uh, this, the author, Todd uh, Benson, Benson, um, 
he uh, he he points out that usually the amount of money that is paid for the rent for these kids is enough to actually get the whole family across the border. Um, by the way, that money goes to the cartels. Some of that money also is provided by NGOs, non-governmental organizations, but that's a ruse. We have pointed out numerous times here, and it is documented, that the NGOs, while yes, there are many charitable organizations that fund NGOs uh, to subvert this nation, but probably the greatest uh, uh, funder of these NGOs is the United States government. They're providing these grants. And so the United States government is providing all this money to the drug cartels through the NGOs, through these rent-a-kid programs. And the author goes into detail about that. So the book, Overrun, How Joe Biden Unleashed the Greatest Border Crisis in U.S. History. Think about this. Uh, Donald Trump, because they realized that this was a problem, under President Trump, they uh, would get all these immigrants that are being processed and they would do a rapid DNA test, which is a swab inside the cheek, to verify that, that these particularly men without a wife, without a wife with them and with a child, that the child was actually related to the man. Three out of 10 of those tested failed the test. That was one of the reasons why um, immigration was curtailed. The Remain in Mexico program is another excellent, uh, excellent program. All these things were put on hiatus by the Biden administration. The thing is, the, the rapid DNA test takes 90 minutes. But because the border is so overrun, the ability to process people, apparently 90 minutes is too long. How about that? Um, what else? Uh, Siena College Research Institutes uh, conducted a poll of academic historians regarding the greatest presidents. No surprise here, FDR um, always ranks at the top or near the top, uh, along with uh, FDR, Jefferson Lincoln, Teddy Roosevelt, George Washington. Then you have your usual suspects on the other end, uh, of course, which we've added Donald Trump to that grouping. Um, academic historians, of course, and this is going to lead into, let me let me get back to that in just a minute, but because the WHO, the World Health Organization, uh, is working in, in concert with uh, nations across the world to develop a worldwide pandemic policy, which gives unprecedented power to the World Health Organization, which, by the way, for now, is controlled by China. Never mind that the United States provides the vast, uh, greatest amount of funding to the WHO of any nation on Earth. And that's all right. We're a wealthy nation. I suppose that's okay to do. Um, China dictates WHO's policy. We saw that on full display during COVID. But anyway, the Biden administration, while working to craft this policy, is also working on a, an end run around the Constitution. Because you see, things like this, and, and his, his mentor, 
uh, Barack Hussein Obama. Mm-mm-mm. Um, tip to rush on that. I'd never forget that. Barack Hussein Obama. Mm-mm-mm. Has they're they're just implementing treaties without going through the proper process of implementing a treaty. That process, of course, is a treaty presented to the Senate for ratification by two-thirds of the Senate. If I was the President of the United States or advising the President of the United States, the first thing I would do is every single foreign policy agreement that we have with another nation, any kind of treaty, well, it can't be a treaty because unless it's been run through the Senate, but any kind of agreement, trade agreement, um, force of arms agreement, etc., is I would turn every single one of those over to the Senate. And I would give them a time period. You've got 90 days to ratify this treaty or we're out. Because we're going to make these treaties treaties. And any agreement that the United States enters into with another nation is going to go before the Senate. You know, George Washington was very adamant about not getting involved in these entanglements. And now you've got Zelensky not satisfied with the billions of dollars that we've sent them wants us to send troops. Now, mind you, we're skating on World War III as it is by sending modern weapons to fight Putin in Ukraine. I mean, this has become a bleed-out of arms. All the while, China's building up their military, unprecedented spending for them. Of course, nobody spends like we do, but... But, you know, they don't have to deal with woke stuff and uh, gender identity uh, in their training. You know, training of soldiers. Remember, soldiers, of course, their purpose is to kill people and break things. You know, you don't want to have to deal with social experiments. Why that? Of course, it's no surprise that we are today because, you know, I mean, under FDR, you know, you had the Tuskegee experiments, etc. I mean, it's no different today than it was then. You've got people who are traditionally from the, the poor end of society as far as financially um, that are in the military. And so they're the ones that nobody's going to miss if they're gone except for their families. But their families are poor, so what does it matter? At least in the opinion of the government. You know, that's one thing. If if nothing else, you know, glorifying the South and the Confederacy during the Civil War is not a good thing to do. I, I've come to realize that. I mean, there's there's a lot of nostalgia involved with it. But here's the bottom line, though. The South were defending some of the very ideals that our founders put to paper, not slavery, although, of course, as that was a de facto result of what they were doing. But, but um, you know, freedom, 
state freedoms, you know, state sovereignty, etc. And so you had people from all walks of life, although as is always, I mean, it's always going to be the case it, traditionally from the poorer aspects, you know, you, you have conscripted, but you had people volunteering. And while you did have volunteers in the Union Army, you also had a vast number of people who were conscripted in, in to fight that were not necessarily fighting because they wanted to. But back to the WHO, and, and because we're going to talk about the science, and we mentioned the, the Siena College Research Institute there, uh, rating by academic historians. And, and so I wanted to talk about this in light of all that we found out, because Johns Hopkins University has re uh, recently released an extensive study to show that, that masks are essentially useless against COVID. That's not a surprise to anybody that's been paying attention, of course. Um, but we've also had the study that showed that natural immunity uh, is at least as good as the vaccines and longer lasting. All these studies have come out um, just recently, and then, of course, we had the latest bombshell, which is the United States government, through all of its disinformation campaign, finally is conceding what everyone knew on day one, that COVID was very likely to have been created in a laboratory. And accidentally released. That I'll go with the accident. I don't have any reason to suspect otherwise. But would it look any different? And this brings me to the question of who these scientists. Who are they? You know, in in, in Atlas Shrugged, you know, they they talk about the State Science Institute. And of course, the State Science Institute. One of the reasons that they hated reared and metal so much which was uh, developed by Hank Reardon, the steel magnate, is because it didn't come from them. To th they thought that they were the only ones enlightened enough to advance the cause of science and that, that industrialists had no use for science. And so they had to discredit Reardon Metal because that was a threat to everything that the State Science Institute stood for. Well, we've had the same thing today because uh, testimony today, Mar uh, Dr. Martin Markeri of uh, Johns Hopkins University testifying before Congress points out the fact that, uh, you know, there were two virolo virologists uh, and immunologists that were on the FDA's board to certify uh, vaccines, especially for kids. Two of them quit because they saw the fix was in on on stressing the importance of the vaccine on kids who were least likely to be have an issue with COVID. But that there were also immunologists at the very onset that said that there was no question that this was a lab leak. But within uh, days of talking to Dr. Fauci, they changed their tune. And then they were both awarded huge multi-million dollar grants. Mm -hmm. And that's the bottom line. You know, they always they always decry 
And it doesn't matter whether it has to do with COVID. It doesn't matter with who the greatest presidents are. You know, of course, um, who the greatest presidents are to these academic historians is determined mainly on on uh, how much do they grow the government. And if they happen to grow the government a lot, then they were very high on their list, which is why they rank Abraham Lincoln very high. As uh, They also rank uh, LBJ, I think, seventh or eighth on the list. LBJ was one of the worst presidents ever next to Woodrow Wilson. And, and the worst presidents ever are not even in the bottom of the list except for Buchanan. But all these things, all these people, they're dependent on grants and climate change. Is climate change? And of course it is. Anybody, you know, but is it man-made? All studies point to yes. But why do studies point to yes? Because that's the predetermined outcome. And so studies are crafted to come up with the appropriate conclusion. Because guess what happens? If you do a study and you do, whether, you know, let's call it an honest study, let's assume for a minute all studies are honest, but your study comes out and says, you know what? The climate is just changing because the climate changes over years and years and years. I mean, humans, you know, we're very finite. You know, we live to be about 70, 80 if we're lucky. 90 years old. And so when we see drastic changes or what we see is, you know, we have to, we, we, we think about those finite terms regarding climate change and we don't look at the data over millennia. I mean, anybody that would, would realize that a warming climate is far better than a cooling climate. And the bottom line is, is if these scientists, and I, was, I wish I could remember who I read the article from, but he pointed out that, that uh, you know, I mean, that it's a cult. And I, and I have mentioned frequently that these, you know, this is a theology, whether it's the transgender theology, whether it's the climate, uh, the branch Covidians, as is a proper prop, popular term amongst uh, the so-called climate deniers, you know, you've got the, the you know, or rather the... Uh, um, the COVID, the people that think not everyone should be vaxxed on COVID, you know, they refer to the, the, them as a cult, but it's the same with climate change. It's the same with abortion. It's the same with the transgender movement. You know, all these people, you know, they've got their clicks together and they know that if they, they come out with a study that's contrary to, to the established narrative that, and they publish it, chances are they'll never get another penny from the government. Now, mind you, the government doesn't have any money. We've talked about that, and I'll always talk about that. The government takes money from you and me to give to other people, whether it's through uh, needs-based assistance, whether it's through grants to affirm their echo chamber, regardless of what that echo chamber is. That money has to be taken from you and for me. 
all sorts of debate up at uh, Capitol Hill regarding Merrick Garland and the fact that they're not pursuing people that bomb pregnancy crisis centers. But boy, they're going after those those people that are standing on the sidewalk praying for people that are going into the abortion places. Merrick Garland said, well, it's because they attack at night. They attack the crisis centers at night is why out of... Uh, the dozens of bombings and vandal attacks. They've only arrested two people as opposed to the dozens of people that they've arrested for praying on sidewalks. Science should always assume that the current narrative is wrong. I mean, that's the very definition. How do you disprove a hypothesis? You go to try to prove that it's wrong. Or how do you prove a hypothesis? It's the same thing. How do you prove a theory? You try to disprove it. The fact that they're saying that you can't try to disprove it, that should tell you all you need to know about scientists today. It's the Snake River Lib. My life matters. Does yours?